Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We're back for another week of In the End Zone with Noel Mazzoni. And Coach, I'm excited about these games that we have to talk about here. Been another great week of football. Oh my gosh, two weeks in a row, right? Oh, two man. weeks in a row, unbelievable weekends. I mean, great games every weekend, upsets. I mean, some really innovative stuff on offense that's been cool to watch uh, from, from all different levels. So it's been a lot of fun the last two weeks. And we're making up for all that lost time last year. Yeah, it's it's good to see those those full stadiums and everything back in full swing, and you know the the passion behind those games that it deserves, the energy behind having a full stadium. And let's start with one here at the Shoe in Columbus, Ohio. We had number three Ohio State being upset by number eleven Oregon, and I think both you and I agree that Joe Moorhead was just calling a masterpiece of a game. Yeah, I mean Joe, he. Uh... Yeah, he, he uh, painted the Michelangelo Saturday, didn't he? Yeah, he did. He's, uh, I mean, it seemed like he had all the answers, set things up like really cool, did a really a great job of just attacking, you know, playing off, not playing defense on offense. He was attack, attacking all the time and setting stuff up and, uh, and really, really making Ohio State adjust their defense and fit everything correctly. That's for sure. He he put his defense in a good position where they could play from being ahead, right? Because that was a high-powered Ohio State team. But there was a lot of things, I think, to, to look at. Number one, I thought the main thing that got their ground game going has been something you and I have been talking about here the last couple of weeks, the outside zone. Yeah, the stretch play in Mario uh, they've all they've always been that way, but you can tell about the uh, the heart and soul of that football team is I think both those football teams was that offensive line and that D front. Yeah, and the offensive line did a great job running the stretch, and then they ran a little you know some jet sweep with it, a little power read look. So they were stretching the defense and they were out leveraging the defense a lot. And we saw the the RPO at play quite a bit one that I really liked they had that one I know they ran it on the goal line I think they ran it maybe on a third and long or something like that or another part of the field but they ran a zone read and then that quarterback comes out and he's got the tight end running a corner and it's it's definitely they were you know I looked at it they're blocking run inside they ran it off of a split zone look so he did have that tight end out there blocking for him as well and I think they ran a couple I know they scored on one of it 
but I, and I saw it from a, uh, uh, numerous teams on Saturday was, you know, conventional RPO is call the run to the left and you conflict read the guy on the backside, right? Mm-hmm. If he chases the run or goes to fit the run, then you kind of fill the void he creates on the backside of the run. Right. I think a lot, I've seen a lot, I've seen a lot more of same side RPOs. So now, now instead of throwing it on a backside linebacker or a backside safety, I've thrown it on the front side linebacker or the front side safety as he supports the stretch play or the, uh, or, or the power read or the pin and pull, whatever you're running to that side. And I've been seeing, a, uh, been seeing kind of the, the the move of the RPO is really is really starting to evolve because you know defenses are doing a good job of fitting the backside of these runs now for the RPO. Right. Well, now the next step is right. They got to fit the front side of a run for the RPO, which really puts them in stress. Yeah, definitely. When you think about just just the same way a defense would attack protection, right? They've gotten smart knowing knowing that they're trying to co- conflict this guy over here, but now he's looking over his shoulder on the other side and getting around and throwing the ball there. So that's not an easy move. How do you train that up, Coach? How do you train them to do that same side stuff? You know, it's not a lot different than the backside guys. Basically, to me, it's just a numbers game to either side. So I know if I'm reading a play side RPO that there's going to be a D-gap defender. There's got to be a C or a D-gap defender to, to support this run. And uh, so he would basically be my key. On the backside, a lot of times you're, read, you're, you're reading more of a guy that's a backside A-B defender. And he's a guy for the cutback lanes that's filling the backside gaps. And he's, your, he's more of your, your RPO or your conflict player. So it's just a matter of IDing. How are they fitting this run? And who is, who is going to fit this run? All right? They've got to have somebody to set the edge. Mm-hmm. Right, and then they got to have a cutback player on the backside. So those are basically your two guys. From a, a strategy perspective, when are you looking to use that same side RPO? Is there a, a certain rotation you like? Is is there a movement from that you know that secondary that's going to key you into saying, okay, it's time to attack over here now? Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of it depends on the back end. That's why I think they did a really nice job when you start to get in that low red zone. Obviously, the second level guy. And the third level guys are a lot more aggressive mm-hmm. for run to support run because they're in you know because it's in the red zone. Uh, they're, 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 they they don't have as much uh, vertical uh, stretch to worry about, so they're going to play a little flatter, a little bit lower. Probably support the run a little bit a little bit quicker so you can get that quick read. I think that it becomes like you really set it up more situational. Mm-hmm. And then the second thing is, who are you going to use to fill that void for the for the RPO route? A lot of times it's in the interior players because secondary guys are going to support the run on the outside. They're going to be D gap leverage guys, and so I, I I think they used actually used an inline tight end, all right, to kind of wash it down and then kind of sneak in sneak in behind the secondary because they were supporting the run. Yeah, it was it was masterful, as I said, the way. Coach Moorhead put that game plan together and they executed it. And it seemed like he was just always one step ahead. And nothing, nothing against Ryan and Coach Dick because that guy's smart as hell too. Oh, yeah. Right? They're, they're both like guys that understand and have great systems offensively. Yeah. Can't take anything away from that team. And I'm sure we'll hear more of them right now. I do think this is going to be a year. I don't think it's going to be a year where you see multiple undefeated teams as, as we get down to the end. I think 
there's just a lot of firepower across college football. A lot of pretty good offenses out there right now. We'll flip to a different game where we had an offense that actually didn't get, gain a ton of yards, which is what happens when you get some turnovers, but score quickly on short fields. But we had Iowa defeating Iowa State in, in the Cyhawk game. And uh, first of all, the big thing that stuck out to me was converting those turnovers into points. That's something that Iowa did very well and uh, when they were able to take the ball away, they made Iowa State pay. You know, it's the old 12% rule, right? Mm-hmm. It's hard to win with turnover sacks, drop balls, and foolish penalties. When I think of Iowa and Iowa offense, I think of like that, that just that steady girlfriend, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're just going to line up. They're going to, you know what they do. They, they come in, they're going to run the ball. They're going to play good defense. They're going to protect the football. And I really think because Iowa State's defense, which they run, um, you know, that, that Cyclone defense, Yeah. which, uh, you know, I've had a chance. I haven't played Iowa State, but I've had a chance to go against a couple defenses that use the same scheme, which is which is kind of built for the whole RPO world and the spread sets and, and kind of what most of us are in now. And you really have to be a patient guy against that, that type of defense, against their defense. And I think that that that's right up Iowa's alley offensively. You know, they're happy with the three and four yard games. Right. And I mean, they did have short field, but Iowa State actually outgained them almost two to one. You had 173 yards for, for the Hawkeyes and a 339 for Iowa State, 21 first downs versus 11 for Iowa. It wasn't necessarily that, um, you know, Iowa couldn't get the job done, but I thought what Iowa State or Iowa, I should say, Iowa defense did very well. Phil Parker over there was really keep everything in front, right? It was like in, in baseball, like the yeah. no, no doubles defense, right? They were not allowing the big play. They limited the big plays, and that made a huge difference. When you, you know, talk, look at turnovers, right? Turnovers especially into the points, and then you look at the amount of explosive plays. If you take away a lot of explosive plays – you know, you take away that chance of scoring points, and they were able to hold them to 17. Yeah, and you know, you kind of you kind of live you live on explosive plays, right? I think it's something like one explosive play a drive. Yeah, I think your scoring uh, average yeah. goes up from like 30 percent to 80 percent. Right. There's, you know, I'm not don't quote me on that, but it's something like you go really, and all I need is if you can just get create one explosive play in any in any drive, your uh, scoring average really goes up. Your percentage of score really goes up. And you're exactly right. That's what they did. They, they limited that, kept everything in front, played uh, just played good old-fashioned football, run the ball, played defense. I know when you're looking at game planning, you know you spend a lot of time on on the first and second down, and then third downs. Right, you're going to be in third down some. But in the course of your game planning, how much are you looking for those explosive play opportunities? Maybe to to you know tag something here or to focus on something that's going to get you those big chunks of yardage. There's two things, right? The drive starters, all right? So I think that's important. you got to get the drive started. So I think the P and 10 calls are important to focus on, right? So I can have something positive and not start, you know, first and 15 or second and 15 or have something negative happen where I can keep myself in that third and medium. And then you're always looking to, at some point, create space so you can put the ball in your playmaker's hands to create those explosive plays. We all know you're going to take your shots. You know, I think I think you should take six to eight shots a, a game, actually. But you're also looking to create numbers or a way.
way to get the ball in my athlete's hands in space where where to, where you look, explosive cl- plays come from when you get one-on-one tackle ops, op- op- opportunities. Looking at some other games here, I know you liked the Stanford-USC game. Enjoyed that one there. Stanford, of course, plays uh, a brand of football that you're more used to seeing, I guess, in the Midwest, right? They have that, that power style of football. They want to knock people off the ball. Yeah, intellectual brutality, right? right? Is that what they call it? Yes. In Stanford? Yeah. And I tell you the difference I saw, and I can remember the kid from Corona Centennial, because I actually went and watched him play and offered him a scholarship, was the Tanner McKee kid, Stanford's quarterback. I think he's really going to be a special player. They've always had kind of the big physical wide receivers, tight end type guys, and he's not as much as they as they as they were were in the past with playing with seven offensive linemen and power and unbalanced power and tackle at the tight end tackle overs and all that and uh, I think that David Coach Shaw and those guys did a really nice job of ingraining more of the of their passing game into their offense. From the concept standpoint, what are, what are some of the favorite things you saw from, from Stanford? I think they did a nice job of getting the ball vertically down the field, which they've always done a good job of. They hadn't in the last, you know, last few years, last year. It's kind of like get the ball out quickly, get your quick game going. Uh, they've always been a big stick team. Stanford's going to run the ball, and they're never going to give up on the run. And I think they've done a nice job, though, of setting up setting up their big cross-country plays, their shots down the field, and actually taking those shots in the course of the game. Moving things ahead to Sunday, the great Sunday of football. Uh, the game I was really most interested in didn't necessarily turn out the way I wanted it to, but but uh, definitely some great... You've got to be talking about the Browns. you got to be talking about the Browns. Uh, always, yeah, right? yeah. I mean, you look at... You look at uh, the standings today, you, you got everybody at 1-0 and in, in Browns in last place at 0-1. And, you know, it's like the more things change, the more they stay the same. They're not going to stay there. They're, they're a really good team. Those were two really good teams that played uh, but just didn't go their way in the game. end. Yeah, but what I was most impressed about with um, Patrick Mahomes, you've got Miles Garrett coming off one edge. you got Jadavion Clowney coming off the other edge. And those guys were really – getting upfield and, and towards Patrick Mahomes right away. Now, they didn't have a lot of sacks. They certainly pressured him out of the pocket. But I think their guys in the middle, their center and their two guards, did an incredible job of, of keeping those guys right where they were so the whole pocket wasn't collapsing. And it opened up those lanes for Patrick Mahomes to escape to. And then you got guys out there like Kelsey and and uh, Tyreek Hill just running around and making plays. I, I watched that game, and, like, I could have watched the Oregon-Ohio State game and the Cleveland-Kansas City game. I could have watched those two games ten times each Yeah, and just keep going back and watching them because I, I thought they are both great games. Four guys that really do a great job offensively. I mean, I love the stuff they're doing. You watch the Cleveland, Kansas City. Obviously, you got two. I mean, I think those guys do humble. I mean, a great job. And I why why I, I I say that is because both of those guys, to me, I right, just watching the game do a great job of of building offense around their personnel. You know, you're looking at a Patrick Mahomes, unbelievable talent, and how quickly, you know. Pretty limited run run scheme, 
but how quickly he spread, who he, how much he spreads the ball around, and how quickly he spreads the, uh, the ball around to all those explosive players they have on the on the perimeter. Mm-hmm. You know, he's got the big go-to guy in Kelsey, and he's throwing it to Tyreek, and he's, and, you know, they bring in those uh, uh, the back. I mean, I, I think they, I mean, they they do a great job. To me, I see a lot of college type offenses. I'm not going to say that they're running a college offense, but the type of attitude and the type of philosophy of like a lot of colleges do and how they distribute the ball and get it out quickly. Then you go on the flip side, and I, th- and I love Baker Mayfield and the guys, you know, and, and Landry and all, and the two running backs, uh, Hunt and um, Chubb. Chubb, right? And I think he does, he does a great job of, of moving the line. Like we talked about, I think, this last week. Right of moving the launch point for Baker, mm-hmm. of uh, you know, of setting up using the run to set up his shot plays and his explosive plays down the field. Uh, so, I mean, those guys. I just love watching those guys coach football because I think I think those the, the, both both those guys are just like at a different level offensively. And then you saw that idea of using personnel on the Cleveland Brown side. You got Beckham out this game still recovering from that knee surgery and right away though they they don't hesitate they go to one of their fastest guys on the field in in uh Schwartz kid from Auburn and that guy's you know stretching the defense making some plays as well you know there's some he didn't come up with but not that hesitancy to to go ahead and use your playmakers yep and I think that's your job right your job is to identify your personnel and you know as coach Belichick would say think players not plays sometimes mm-hmm. And your job is to put the as your job is to put the ball in your in your playmaker's hands. And you always see every single game. You can count on at least one kind of gadget play from from Stefanski in the offense, and usually then another play right off of it that looks similar. So they, I think they did uh they did an end around there, and then they did another one where Odell was going to go out and throw the pass. Didn't have things. It was a maybe a a throwback to him. He didn't have things downfield. No, he just took off and ran for the touchdown. Yeah. Well, you're going to see that from both those guys. He and Coach Reed, right? Yeah. They're going. They're always going to have something, something out of the ordinary that you, that you haven't seen on film in their in their plan. Looking at these two games, I, I thought just a ton of of quarterback talent. When we look at uh, the the Oregon Ohio State game, and we look at uh, the KC Cleveland game, but both games kind of end in a similar fashion. You have the quarterbacks scrambling around and probably making an ill-advised throw that gets picked on the sideline. Both of them ended that way, you know, opposite sides of the field to where they were throwing to, uh, but similar outcomes. And, and I also remember, you know, end of the half situation for Stroud where, you know, you would think he was throwing to the end zone and, and he just threw underneath there. And, you know, you hear a lot of people then criticize like, you know, these guys don't know what they're doing. Uh, you know, they're just young. They don't, they haven't learned that yet. You know, the situational side of it that gets coached up. I know as coaches, we spend a lot of time trying to give them those situations and these things still happen. I mean, you're talking about guys who have to make split second decisions on a, a you know, in, in chaos and they're not obviously trying to throw an interception. They're trying to win a ball game. But those things happen, and certainly then the spotlight falls on them and, and everybody wondering, you know, why doesn't this guy know those things? Why doesn't he know the situational part? 
Yeah, and, uh, you know, the one on Stroud there at Ohio State, I mean, when I watched that, to me, he had, had I don't remember who it was, but kind of run out of bounds. He had him. And I just think the ball floated on him yeah. a little bit. Yeah. You know, I don't think he was – I don't think he was – so, you know, there's there's conversely two things, right? Um, it, it, it's making, as a quarterback, making the correct decision for your football team mentally and then also making the correct decision for your team physically, right? And, some you know, sometimes the ball gets away, it gets tipped, you sail something, you don't make the throw you want, and that hurts you. Or sometimes you just make a split second. And believe me, like when you got those four or five guys bearing down on you in the pocket, you are making less than split second decisions for your football team. And it's it's a hard it's, it's a, there's only in the NFL there's only 32, 32 of them in the world that can play that position right, right. at every given on any given Sunday. So. Uh, yeah, it's, it's not easy. And as a coach, you're just always looking. You're, you know you're going to have those instances in a game, you know, and, and with any quarterback. And, and as you, what you're trying to do during the week is you're just trying to minimize, all right? And that's what separates the quarterbacks, in my opinion. That's what separates, you know, average to good to great. It's not, it's not the measurables. It's not the arm strength or the 40 time or am I 6'5 or I dress in a phone booth. Those, those things, what separates the division of, of, of good to great at the quarterback's decision is guys that make great decisions for your quarter, I mean, for your football team, all right, at, at the right moment. And those happen. Those are going to come up. And sometimes the best decision a quarterback makes is to throw it out of bounds. You know, and, you're, and everybody's going, why is he throwing it out of bounds? You know, what's wrong with him? You know, what's going on? Well, guess what, guys? Sometimes the defense wins. Mm-hmm. They got smart guys over there, too. Mm-hmm. They got good players, too. Both those guys are very talented guys. And, you know, physically, sometimes they 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 feel that they've got what makes what makes them great is sometimes the thing that hurts them, right? I can fit this ball into this window. I can make this throw. You know, I can I can do these things. Well, that was what makes them a great player. And then sometimes it hurts them every now and then. But you're right because that's situational football is what wins foot wins and loses football games. Right. Right. Um, you know, the third downs, the red zones. Have you ever seen the what matters talk about about what matters in a football game? You know, the the last two minutes of the half, the last four minutes of the game, the you know the first downs and all those. So there's there's points of a football game that really have a huge effect on the football game. And the quarterbacks that, that are at their best and make great decisions in those in those moments are usually the teams that win. I think that brings us to a short discussion here of, of training that up, right, in these quarterbacks. I mean, we're going to have limited opportunities to really put them under fire like we'd want to, but we can do some things in the classroom and walkthroughs, even in, in you know, things that we can uh, – create for them out on the practice field to at least feel some of the pressure of those situations for you uh, what was the way you best liked to train those guys up to be situationally aware and make their best decisions when the game's on the line i think a lot of times we get caught up as coaches especially on you know i I don't know about defense but on offense of thinking that, that 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 schemes win football games I mean, you got to have good schemes, and everybody has good. Everybody knows what they're doing, you know. Everybody builds good schemes, all right. But but we kind of get caught up in thinking my schemes are going to win this football game. When we need to understand, no, my players are going to win this football game. 
And so the more I can get my players to take ownership of the schemes, the more I can get my players to understand maybe, all right, why am I calling this play at this moment? You know, why is this in the game plan? Why uh, I can remember shoot, years and years, years and years ago when I do a game plan, and actually it was with Philip Rivers. I started this with Philip Rivers, and I would give him the game plan, and he would go and he would redline the game plan for me on Thursday. All right, and then we'd have the discussion of, all right, why, coach? And he would ask the questions, why are you calling this play on first down? Mm-hmm. All right. So I think just 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 pure football knowledge and understanding, maybe not the not the 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 what we're doing, but what the whys. And so we have the what and the why discussions in our meetings every day. Hey guys, it's first and ten, and I'm calling this play, and here's why I'm calling it. This is what I'm thinking on this. All right. Uh, hey, this is third and four, third and five, whatever it is. All right. Here's here's kind of what we're getting on defense. This is why I'm calling this play. This is what we're trying to manipulate the defense with, or why I'm putting this guy in motion, etc. So I think just the cerebral talks of watching the defense, talking yourself through, talking with your quarterback, talking yourself through the game plan of what are the whys, coach. All right. I mean, what's the purpose of this? And I think. I think we, you know, I catch myself not ever, do, you know, not doing that. So I would make that a, a point of emphasis. We'd always have a 30-minute why, why meeting, all right? What matters and why? So that was the meeting where we could just talk about the game plan, not what your progression was, not what this guy was hot, not what your check was on this run, but just take the game plan. All right, guys, let's put some film on and let's, let me show you why why we feel that these are the calls I'll be making and what you're going to get. I love that idea. When you do that with those guys, how much do you feel it builds their confidence to be able to go out there on a Saturday afternoon or on a Sunday and execute versus, you know, maybe the coach who's not having that conversation with his guys? Well, then they just become play runners, right? And they're just running plays you call and just trying to perform in that play. And so that's good. First and second down, that's a lot of the football game, right? But when you start to get become situational, two-minute offense, end of the half, third down inside the 10, uh, coming out from the two, you know, all those situations, I want them to know, hey, when, 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 I'm at the, when it's second and 10 from the minus two and we're coming out, here's what I'm calling and here's why I'm calling it, all right? And, and this is what I want you to look for, and this is what's going to make the play successful instead of just, hey, they just run that play and just go through your normal reads. Because it's not the same, all right? Defenses aren't going to be the same down there than they are out in the field on second and two or second and eight, okay? And then conversely, you have to build that into your practice. So I've always been a guy that, that my the, when the game plan goes in on Monday and we're going through walkthroughs, I'm always going to have – my third medium, all right, is going to get introduced. This is why we're going to hard count them on third and five because they run. They're a pressure team or they're a one-free team. We're going to see what they're in, and then here's going to be our answer. And then, and then I always work on some low to mid red zone plays on, on the first day because those were I'm going to win the game. Third and short, third and medium, and red zone. Well, Coach, there's always a, a lot of insight around the games that you shared with us today and uh, love – I love the thoughts and ideas on how to get those quarterbacks ready. Uh, we have another great week coming up of football. You know, just some weeks down the road to think about this, Coach. I think some of that, uh, 
those Mac games come on and you get that situation where there's a game on every single day of the week. So we'll be there and, you know, can't get enough of it right now for sure. That's awesome. The only thing that hurts is my pocket foot because I, spend, I, I take too many trips to BevMo, right? <laughs> yeah. When they, have, when they have football games every night. That's right. So, but, hey, Keith, it's, all, it's always fun talking with you and it's, uh, it's been a fun time. I'm looking forward to next Monday. All right. 